human male never seems to progress past adolescence. To the Batmobile. Googly moogly. Let's go. Danger. Let's go. I need a horse. Did Bigfoot take her? You wouldn't like me when I'm wrong, wrong, wrong you know? Yeah. I can fly. Yeah. To the hero sex organs. Welcome to the comic trope. We're in a small room, or are we? And a mid-sized sedan going through a Burger King fucking dildo machine. Damn it. Sorry. <clears throat> a Burger King dildo machine. I do not want to ever encounter one of those in the wild or at home or pretty much anywhere for that matter. Does the machine make dildos yeah. or is it using dildos on the people who pass through the machine? Yeah, right. I, you know, you could ask this question, but I'm not putting this in the, in the comic trope. machine of some sort. Welcome to the comic trope. We're in a small room, or are we in a mid-sized sedan going through a Burger King drive through somewhere in Chicago? Then, in front of us, a giant warped time-traveling hole kind of opens up, and then, boom, we go through there into a world in which we host a podcast with a badger and a wizard. And we're in a small room. So, The Comic Trope is a podcast... About comic books and the culture that surrounds it. Today, I have King Fisher himself, David. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bird. Yeah, I don't know. Da- Dave, the Count Paper. Dave, the Mr. S- Bitches. <laughs> Dave, Mr. Bitches, aka Smiling Dave, and Sequoia, Encyclopedia Black, ready to give us the knowledge that we are thirsting for. How you guys doing today? Oh, pretty good. Doing quite well. I'm on the mend. Yeah? You feeling better? I am feeling much better. Thank you. You just got back from Star Wars Land. I did get back from Star Wars Land. Celebration. Celebration. How many people sing like a different version of Celebrate when you're down there? I've never heard it the whole you time. Really? Yeah. Star Wars Celebrate. Celebrate. Something about swords. No. We didn't hear that, nor did we hear uh, celebrate Star Wars, Wars come on. on. Yeah, that never Neither. Came up, that no. is all that you would hear if I went to that. Well, of course. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's your milieu. That's <laughs> just because that's, I don't know anything about Star Wars. Or just sing the, the Nub Yub song or Yub Yub, whatever it is. How does that go? Uh, Yub Yub. I, you know what? I heard an argument recently for it. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into this hardcore whenever we watch Return of the Jedi, but I heard an argument for recently John Williams's, uh, jazz closeout, um, being better than Yub Nub. And I, I wanted to punch that person in the face because how dare you insinuate that the jazz instrumental they replaced Yub Nub with is superior to Yub Nub. I think when we um, sorry. when we get into it, we should probably play it back to back and rate it. Yeah, we'll definitely do it. Okay, so do I ever introduce myself on the podcast? Do you think that everyone's you like say, I, me, Blake? That's right. Have a, have a podcast where I don't know much about comics, but my friends, they, them, do. Oh, I should I should have done that. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it right now. <laughs> I just did it. It's fine. We're right. we've done it. Um, I'm a little rusty. <laughs> what are we going to talk about today, guys? I don't know, because I thought we were going to talk about one thing. Vision, right? Yeah. I thought, yeah, for the past four <laughs> weeks, we have we have said, hey, next week we're going to talk about Vision. Again, not going to do that this week. Nope. Because we really want Amos to talk about it, and Amos keeps forgetting that there's a podcast to Amos record. Amos is perennially unavailable. It's no. true. <laughs> it's true. He's going back to school, though, so he's got that, he's got that mindset about him. 
Good for him. Where it, I'm going to school. I don't have to worry about anything else in life. That's fine. Vision can wait. Vision can wait. It was a good book, though. I'm probably going to have to read it again before we review it. So we're going to talk about Star Wars Celebration. Yep. We're going to talk about uh, news. There's actually a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy stuff that's come out that mm. I wanted to go over. Yeah. Um, and then it's probably going to be game time after that. I have no clue what the game will be, but it will be interesting and humorous. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do... Some icebreakers. Give me a cartoon, a childhood cartoon that you believe should be rebooted or could not be rebooted in today's day, in today's age, the age of today. Wow. <laughs> you know, we used to watch a lot of crap growing yeah, up. Yeah, there man. was. Well, so it, it, I'm just going to take us on a brief little tangential time machine hop real quick before we jump into that. And that is to say that depending upon your age, if you're in your 20s, um, you probably don't have much of a recollection of this. But for those of us in our mid-30s and 40s, there was a phenomenon wherein the government would not allow toys to be manufactured from cartoons. Like you couldn't do it. Like you couldn't make toys out of cartoons and television shows and things. Um, it, it was kind of a separate universe. Now the, f- I, wait, 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 you're blowing my mind. Are you telling me that the government at some point, there was a law in the United States that said no toys could be made from cartoon properties. Yes. yes. Are you just fucking with me? You're both looking at me like... No, no that's like, true. That's a, that's a deadly true thing. Basically, the whole idea is that a lot of the cartoons we watched were based around toy lines. And um, the thing is, parents saw it as being, you know advertisement mm-hmm. to make to try and get kids to badger their parents into buying these toys for them and i forgot what year that went to effect but yeah i mean you, you see it in the in kind of the landscape of cartoons like probably around the late 80s early 90s there was just a cut off yeah. and they stopped doing that the the first to do it was masters of the universe mm-hmm. in the the early 80s i guess it would have been 80 or 81 or somewhere in that maybe when you say the first to do it the first to stop yeah. selling or the first start, to start yeah the first that did it uh and they got around the cuz it, it was a rule before as well uh they, they got around it by including the psa which is why all of the cartoons that you remember from the 80s had a psa at the end of it gi joe masters of the universe because they wanted it to be more than just an advertisement for the action figures so all the the tough thing is is that when thinking about things that could be brought forward, how many of the cartoons we grew up watching stand on their own without their action figure lines? I mean that's that's true for a majority of them. Mask, yeah, Centurions, yeah, definitely not He Man or GI Joe. Ah, uh, come on, GI Joe were all right. That was all right. He Man, I'll give you. Shira, I'll give you. But GI Joe. I mean, the movie's classic. Oh, that cartoon uh, movie's awesome. Oh, yeah, I love the movie. G.I. Joe the movie, just in case uh, this is a, a fun little thing. Not live action. I'm talking about the cartoon. No, the, yeah, G.I. Joe okay. the movie. The, yeah, not those two bullshits <laughs> that uh, we got in the, the mid-2000s. Um, but no, G.I. Joe the movie, the animated movie, uh, was released yesterday, 30 years ago. Really? Yeah. 
It's know. very strange that you know that and that we were talking about G.I. Joe right. around this it's, time. It, yeah, I just happened to, to, to look at something yesterday that was, was mentioning the 30th anniversary of G.I. Joe. <laughs> Dude, that, that song that it started off was so hot. Well, and the, the best Cobra! part about that is, is that it's Cobra. also got way better animation than the rest of the film. That the opening sequence has like rotoscoped animation and the song oh, is yeah, fantastic. Man. And then it like switches and what the fuck is this? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like really it's like a, shitty lithos with like shrinky dinks moving across the it's top. It's like a totally it. different cart, like a totally different like design studio did the in- like did the music video intro like when they're f- like all the parachute um all the parachute bad guys are coming yeah. down like oh. around the statue of liberty yeah. and like oh man so awesome well, the best shit is when duke gets that fucking jetpack and he grabs that bomb that bomb and he's got a flag in one hand yeah an yeah flag in one hand and a bomb in the other and he's like flying past the statue of liberty and he throws it out into the to the harbor and it like explodes and then, and then he like Jumps up on top of the Statue of Liberty and he's like waving the flag back and forth and they're all lined up across the top of it. I was never as proud to be an American as when I saw that cartoon. There's never been a day that I felt more. Were you American by that point? Pretty sure. Okay. When did the movie come out? 30 years ago yesterday. I have four years old, so no, I wasn't American. (laughs) Um, But when you saw it. But when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At four, I watched. My parents just had it on repeat from four to ten. That's all I watched. Not to question your legitimacy as a no. That's fine, citizen. (laughs) No, but I mean, you know, there are a lot of cartoons that are guilty. I mean, Thundercats, the opening credits of that were awesome, and then you watch the actual show. But uh, now, speaking of other phenomenon, you know, that's centered around the cartoons we used to watch, is that you know there were a lot of cartoons based on R-rated films. Yeah. You know, from when we were kids, like, you know, Rambo had one, uh, Police Academy, Robocop. Robocop. Ooh, the Robocop cartoon was all right. I remember liking that a lot. Yeah, that, Chuck Norris had that uh, oh, animated God. show, and yeah. all his films were R, obviously. There was that short lived um, Jackie Chan cartoon. Charles Watson cartoon. I'm totally kidding. It was not <laughs> Chuck, Chuck and Friends. Uh, True Lies, the cartoon, was really good. <laughs> the horse talked in it, which was strange. Which was strange, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that was a, an interesting phenomenon. Um, and it, again, it's one of those things where when I go into toy aisles now, they're just, they're skeletons of the way they were when we were kids because every property on earth was just like ejaculating toys onto the shelf. Like, uh, or maybe hemorrhaging. I'm not really yeah. sure what the, the right, hemorrhaging. Yeah, hemorrhaging just action figures and, and plastic likenesses onto, to store shelves. But it was a lot. Um, and you know, that there was a backlash. So, to answer your question, since we got a, a little deeper into this than maybe, <laughs> I, I say maybe that you definitely wanted the two of us to do, but you should know that by now. That, that's what Sequoia and I are inevitably going to give you. Uh, to answer your question, you know, in recent years, a lot of, and we've talked about some of them here on the podcast, a lot of those 80s properties have come back as comic books. And so I think the ones that have worked as comic books would probably also work as a reboot to come back. Um, I really enjoyed the reboot to Thundercats. It's just a shame yeah, that, that didn't was- get Really back good. up because it was done really really well and the irony of that was the uh, toys weren't selling so yeah. it wasn't supplementing the income so they canceled the of, cartoon. of producing the show <laughs> so yeah they canceled it um, a lot of shows have gotten canceled for that reason masters universe remake was the same way oh the, really yeah the, they put those toys everywhere uh, hoping that they would take off again and they just didn't i, no. I don't know if i want to see anything from back then i mean i don't I, I can't think of anything that had such a cool concept that really would, like you said, stand up on his own. Mm. You know, I know a lot of people love that new Voltron cartoon, but 
Eh, I, don't know. I, I watched the first season. I haven't gotten to the second one. It is good, but you have to be in the mindset to watch a good Voltron well, cartoon. And I think that that's what you're getting at is that yeah. why why not just watch something new? Well, yeah. it's also really telling that Sequoia himself says, most of you don't know this about Sequoia, but if Sequoia were to say, you know, I, I didn't really feel like watching that Voltron cartoon, you need to understand that there was probably no bigger fan of Voltron on the planet Earth than whenever this man was six or seven. Oh, crap. <laughs> You can tell that story. No, I'm not, I'm not going to air you out like that. Maybe I should air you out like that. I don't know. That's, that's, that's for you to decide, I guess. Uh, but Sequoia at one point in his life was, um, within the span of just several months, as starved as he possibly could be for Voltron toys. Yes. And then uh, in a quick half-year turnaround, uh, he then became flooded by Voltron toys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to hear the story? Or do you want to say I, I feel like we've gotten too far into it not to hear the story. So long story short, uh, me and my mom, we moved um, from our apartment. We were, we were getting the house, but it wasn't quite ready. The family who lived there before hadn't moved out. So we were kind of in an interim period of where we were staying in an apartment. And uh, all my toys had gotten placed in storage. So I didn't really have much of anything. And Voltron was on. I was really rabid about that show. Yeah. And I wanted a Voltron so bad. It wasn't in the budget. I didn't have any, any toys. I friggin' found <laughs> clothespins and I colored them all the colors of the individual Voltron lines. And just like stuck and them stuck together. together. Look. <laughs> stuck them together and made a Voltron. I am, I'm right there with you because when I saw Terminator yeah. for the first time, I got, um, I made, I, we didn't, my parents wouldn't let me have anything that looked like a gun, mm-hmm. no squirt guns, no whatever, just because they're gun, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's Canadian. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I went around the house and like took all the toilet paper off the toilet paper rolls, um, when they weren't around and I taped them all together to make like a toilet roll gun that was <laughs> like, Two to three feet, like long, yeah. and I I painted it black, and I would go around and I started shooting my parents, in which they took it, and I remember throwing it in the <laughs> in the fireplace. What? And they were like, no guns, no facsimiles, uh, <laughs> no, facsimiles of guns, nothing. What if you used your fingers? Uh, you know, what are they going to do? But <laughs> yeah. I, it it lessened after like my sister and brother came around. You know, they're like, whatever. After after the second or third kid, they're like, guns, bombs, whatever. Were you like walking, stalking them through the house? Just. No, knowing Blake, little Blake, not cool at all. I was probably singing a song like, I'm going to shoot my mother and father jumping through the woods. Yes. Yeah. Jazz hands shooting these guns. Uh, it was probably not cool. It was more probably something like in that. In your mind, you're like, this is the baddest ass thing yeah. I've ever been. I'm like, it's like Footloose and Terminator. It's like, I'm amazing. He like jumped up and put his foot like on a cabinet and like pirouetted off of yeah. it. And like had oh, wow. a, a, a legitimate Gluck opera. Yep. Oh, wow. Gluck opera. So here's my answer yeah. <laughs> is Scooby-Doo needs to go. It needs to go. It wasn't sure. good in the 70s, 60s. It wasn't, you know, it was like defining as a cartoon. Everyone knows like how a Scooby-Doo cartoon goes, mm-hmm. it, you know. Well, we certainly do after they decided that there needed to be other things that needed to uh, have uh, uh, anthropomorphization uh, that uh, w- would talk to us and solve crimes with us. I mean, sharks, oh, doo buggies. Yeah. Ghosts. Ghosts. Scrappy-Doo. Ugh. 
Um, but it needs to end. Like, if you want to play replays, Cartoon Network, I get it. Because it's a classic, and to some people, it's nostalgia watching. You put it on. It's fun to see your kids watch it, whatever. But don't stop rebooting Scooby-Doo. Cause well, they, it, they do it every decade. Yeah, I know. It's, and it's, it's always bad. It's awful. always garbage. So that's, that's my thing. Is stop with the Scooby-Doo. You're better than this. I want them to bring back the uh, Filmation's original Ghostbusters. That's what I'd like to see come oh, back. Wow, <laughs> nothing like a giant ape that hunts a ghost. Are you familiar with Filmation's Ghostbusters? No, I'm not. Oh man, is that something to check out? Uh, it's something to at least look into. I, I would say that. Yeah. Well, it's based on uh, a 1960s television show. Yeah. It's essentially like a gorilla. I guess he's a gorilla. Yeah, he like is. A chimp is. or something. Tracy. Um, a man and a woman, and they hunt ghosts. That's it. And they drive around an old, like, uh, yeah, like a, like a coupe model T or yeah. whatever. That sounds fun. That's why it was the re- because of the existence of that show. That was the reason why the real Ghostbusters had to call themselves the real Ghostbusters. Huh. To differentiate. And I used to watch both as a kid. That's yeah. like in Canada, Bush was known as Bush X because there was already a band called Bush. Really? <laughs> yeah. So if you ever bought like a, uh, I bought the, what, what was the Bush album that, yeah. The the first sixteen stones, sixteen stones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was Bush X. They had everything Zen on it. Okay, machine head. Yeah, yeah. So I had a I I had a Canadian copy because I bought it in Canada when I was going up there for the summer or whatever, and I brought it down and I was like, "Have you guys heard of uh, Bush X? It's really good." And they're like, "Bush X, (laughs) go home, jazz hands." (laughs) Sounds like a porno. Well, add X to anything and it does. I guess so. Except All right, for, guys. Except for jugs, they just become alcohol. <laughs> it's true. Um, I don't know if we answered this or not, but I think we've spoken enough we've to move on. We've all learned something. Yeah. We've all learned something today. So let's talk about news. You hear it first. We got that down. That was awesome. <laughs> it's been a while. We haven't done that one in a while. God, I just made me miss MTV. I know. When MTV was MTV. Yeah, and Kurt Loder and Serena Schul. Are we getting nostalgic for Kurt Loder? <laughs> Please, God, no. So Josh Brolin to play Cable in Deadpool Boo. 2. Really? Are you serious? You're against that? Uh, no, not really. Oh, uh, you just I wanted just, to say boo? I just needed Contrarian. to dissent a little bit. I just needed to That's dissent. Fine. What does uh, Chappelle say? You know, I come from a long line of dissenters. <laughs> Man, chief fucking up. Good oh, old. Some white people on a boat. Let's go see what they want. <laughs> Good old Chanos. Yeah, I, I think that's that was where my boo came from, is that uh, I'm not a huge fan of people playing multiple roles in multiple universes. Like well, that. what about Fantastic Four and uh, Captain America? See, I don't like that. So you don't like him as Captain America? I love well, him as Captain America, but... I thought he was the best thing in those Fantastic Four movies. You're right. I'm just trying to hate. Can we just fine. let me hate for a little all bit? All right, here? we'll let you boo. All right. I, He's going to be great. All right, one, two, three, we'll all boo for Dave, okay? One, two, no, no, three. No, that makes it sound like you're booing at me. No, 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 we're booing, no. booing with you. No, you're not going to boo we're at me. We're booing in all right. support. We're booing no, in support stupid. of your Listen, negativity. I'm going to support Josh Brolin because Josh Brolin's an amazing actor, and I think he's going to do a great job as Cable. And honestly... Boo! I, I just th- I think it's a better choice, you know, than you know some John Ham. Well, John Ham is. I don't want to go into that, but it's better than Pierce Brosnan. That's so true. I mean, there's so many people that they were naming that could possibly play this character. It's getting a little sickening, honestly. I mean, you know, I mean, I heard so many possibilities. 
Michael Shannon, as much as I like him as an actor, I didn't want him to play Cable. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Well, and again, Josh Brolin's a fantastic pick. Like, I'm totally in support of it. Yeah. I just need it to be, as you do Sequoia it. put contrary in there. So it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. We're comic book nerds. It's what we do. And equally exciting news. Are you sure? <laughs> Dolph Lundgren joins yeah. Jason Momoa in Aquaman for James Wan. I'm not I, excited. <laughs> I, I don't care. It's still Aquaman. I can, there, there cannot be an episode where I don't talk about Aquaman. I feel like he is the n- number one character I well, speak about. So what's his face? Um, oh, Patrick Wilson. Ocean Master. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick Wilson. Wilson's playing Ocean Master. Do we know who's playing Black Mana yet? Uh, I did not remember the actor's name. He's from the Netflix show The Get Down. Yeah, uh, which okay. I was really disappointed they didn't get uh, uh, Michael K. Williams because I just like the idea of Black Mana showing up and everybody's like, "Black Mana's coming, Black Mana's coming," <laughs> just running for their lives, whistling, yeah, whistling. Farmer in the Dell, the, the cheese stands alone, just walking down the street. <laughs> I had to explain to somebody the other day what the Farmer in the Dell was. Really? They were talking about Omar. And I was like, yeah, he's, you know, whistling Farmer in the Dale. And they're like, what the fuck is Farmer in the Dale? Like, he's whistling that nursery rhyme. I'm like, yes, the nursery rhyme known as Farmer in the Dale. And they had never heard of it before. Oh. <laughs> New Labyrinth movie is in the works. Yeah. Which you, at first, you just hear that. What you want to say is, boo. Except that yes. you read further. And, and you then, find out is directed by Don't Breathe director. Yeah. I can't pronounce his name. Fidi Alvarez? Yeah. yeah. Is it Fidi? F-E-D-E? How do you pronounce that? Fed. Fed? Fed. Fedi? Fed. Fidi. Fade Ralpha. That Fade That's Alvarez. I don't know. All, all I know, we don't know much. We just know that he is going to be the person who directs it. And that... I'm okay with the reboot of this. Not so much, but the person they picked for it. Good. So I don't know how I feel about it. So you know? the only way that will see grant, I've never seen the first one, but I what? feel like, the, yeah, yeah, I'm that guy. Come but on, I feel like man. the only way that can work is if it takes place like in current time and like it's, it's um, Jennifer Connelly's child that gets kidnapped. So I read something recently where somebody was saying that the best outcome here would be that if in some twist that Jennifer Connelly's character, Sarah, had been tricked by David Bowie mm-hmm. into assuming his mantle whenever he passed on. And so then oh. she gets sucked in and now her teenage son or daughter must go in with the help of their uncle. Mm-hmm. Toby, who was her little brother in the first film, and they have to get her back from the City of Goblins. But they end up finding out that intrinsically the City of Goblins must have a human at its heart. And so then they have to decide whether or not to destroy the entire world of the Labyrinth or to rescue their sister slash mother from there. That's an interesting take. See, now yeah. that would be interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. As long as there's puppets, Muppets, no CGI. I'll be. I will go watch it. Well, you can pretty much bank on there being CGI. I mean, that's yeah. that's a given. But I think that you're right. Um, it, you know, the the last couple of Muppet movies have been prime examples of this. Is that they do use practical puppetry effects. They use special effects. They use visual effects. But they are, they feel like Muppet movies at their their core, which I think is an important part of it. Um, and I think that similarly, you could do this as well. And if Jim Henson Studios is going to be doing this film, and I would assume it is, then I think that we don't have much to worry about there because, again, their bread and butter is puppetry anyways. We'll see. I hope. Uh, so a rival's writer, his name is Eric uh, Heisserer. It's not Eric Bana. Eric Heisserer. And he is writing a valiant comic that's coming out um valiant 
called Secret Weapons. And if you and if if this interests you at all, if you if you liked the storyline of Arrival, um, there is a on IO9 a um, the first like four or five pages that are available. I wanted to bring this up because more and more now we're seeing people who write in different mediums coming to graphic novels. Let's see, like uh, the Black Panther uh, book, Tanahisi Coates. Uh, is a novelist uh, and writer for the New York Times occasionally and stuff like that. And then um, a few others that escape me at the moment, but I- I'm wondering if this is because movies have been so successful that comics are more in in the limelight, or if it's because as a medium, graphic novels are taken more seriously because over the past 15 and 20 years, we've seen a lot of great comics, graphic novels become classics. What are your thoughts on that square? It's a little bit of a mixed bag because the thing is, you know, the sad truth and and not to be totally cynical here, but you know, sometimes it's more attractive, attractive to a, a publisher like Marvel or DC to have somebody from outside of comics, you know, writing a book for them. Like, you know, uh, when Marvel got the rights, you know, with Stephen King to do his stuff or Stephen King actually writing the first issue of American Vampire or some of the other novelists that Marvel's had written for them, writing for them over, um, you know, years ago and such. Um, I do personally kind of I kind of resent it just because it's like, you know, I know how hard it is for people to you know, who have been toiling away in the industry trying to get their stuff out there for somebody to kind of waltz in and say, hey, I write this really popular TV show or movie. I'd like to write a comic here, you know, sign on the dotted line. You know, I, I kind of don't like that. But at the same time, you have a lot of these guys uh, out here, you know, who are screenwriters and such, and they went into their, you know, field of work because they were inspired by comics. So this is their way to, Hey, you know, I like writing movies, but I've always wanted to write a comic book ever since I was a little kid. So, um, and you know, some people go, go into it with different aims. Some people, you know, are writing comics and graphic novels with the sole sake of trying to get it adapted into a television show. And that's lame. Yeah. Or a movie. I mean, it's, I mean, people outside the industry and people inside the industry trying to do that. But, um, you know, I feel like, you know, whatever exposure it gets, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing per se. My my take on it, too, is that a lot of prominent writers at this point in time are, you know, probably in their 30s and 40s. And they would have grown up in one of the bigger booms of comic books, right? Mm-hmm. Something you saw started to, you know to become a thing in the 90s whenever kids that grew up in the 60s and 70s, you know, and and when when comics were becoming even more um you know consumable in 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 those times um where were you know like your Tarantino or mm-hmm. Kevin Smith or somebody and they started you know becoming part of the fabrics of their own uh films and and things and so now i think that you've got a bunch of writers that also just really respect the medium because yeah. they grew up really enjoying it and might have taken cues and notes from comic books they read growing up so uh, you know, it's like Warren Ellis or anybody else that looks at it and goes like, oh, well, I, you know, I've written comics for a while. I could probably do a novel. There's probably plenty of people that really respect graphic novels and say, hmm, you know what? I'd love to be able to do something like that that maybe is just crossing their mind for the first time. And so they're, they're jumping in. Yeah. 
So uh, I'm I'm interested, Scoia, because your perspective is kind of like there are a lot of outsiders coming in to comic territory for the wrong reasons. But we see a lot of great comic book writers writing novels. Do you feel the same way about that? So you saw Warren Ellis, his book, he was on a book tour. It was a novel, yes, right? Yes, he was. So do you feel the same way about graphic novelists kind of venturing into the the novel medium? No, because Warren Ellis is probably somebody, if I say his name amongst comic book fans, people are going to be like, oh my gosh, Warren Ellis. But if I say it to a bunch of literary snobs, they may not necessarily know who the fuck I'm talking about. So the thing is, the person's name may not carry the same weight in um, different circles. So, I mean, Warren Ellis... You know, he's paid his dues as a as a writer in general, because right. um, I mean, even when he's you know been writing comics, you know, as his main uh, deal, he's also written some really good essays mm-hmm. and such. And I mean, you know, getting to write novels and short stories and such, I mean, that's something he's only done within the last like five plus years. Um, and I mean, he said it's been kind of an experiment for him. And I imagine it's the same for guys who are novelists or uh, screenwriters breaking into the comic book field. But, I mean, for me, it all comes down to who the gateholders are to, you know, to these different uh, mediums. Because I'm thinking about the bad times when you had, like, a lot of stuff, you know, like when it was such a big deal that Kevin Smith was writing for Marvel Comics. He was doing Daredevil. And, and Daredevil came out on time, but then there was two, uh, a couple other miniseries he was supposed to do, and they didn't show up. And, you know, he can say, oh, I'm working on this movie. Or um, Damon Lindelof doing the Wolverine, Ultimate Wolverine Hulk. Yeah. Uh miniseries and he got two issues out and nothing showed up because I'm busy writing lost. And because it's just he, like, yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not respecting the readers. Right. And I get that you have priorities, but whatever you decide to do, do it, finish yeah. it. Well, and, and here's, here's something as well. If you are a, a major, a majorly or critically acclaimed, you know, comic book or graphic novelist, when you go to submit your ideas to a publisher to write a book, they critique you the same way as probably most anybody off the streets. They're not going to look a lot at your back catalog to see how well you can sell a novel, you know, by looking at your past books. Whereas it's a little bit different. Like if you produce movies, you know, Marvel bends over backwards. Like, well, you've never done anything in our medium before, but sounds like you could probably do this pretty well. And they just, they sign them to that. So I get what you're saying. It's, you know, the, the threshold is slightly different on either side. You can be the biggest superstar in the world and you can't really trade on that. Once you get into writing novels and things like Warren Ellis submitted a a draft to fucking Bantam, just like I did, Mm -hmm. or I would have. Right. Right. And that's how he was judged. Essentially. They didn't go. Yeah. Fuck it. Write whatever you want. Like who cares? Uh, You've made a lot of comic books because that doesn't mean anything in the world of, of, of books. And likewise, it shouldn't mean a lot. Um, if Steven Spielberg is like, Oh, I'm going to make comics now because you know, Spielberg has done crossover things like that in video games and comic books. And they never end up being a whole lot because they don't get a lot of stuff put into him. He just puts his name on it and goes, yeah, somebody at one of my companies will, will do something with this, but he's instantly given a deal. And I'm not even saying necessarily that's the case, you know, with this guy writing for value, right? Cause I mean, for Valiant, I mean, I mean, their rival is a good movie. You know, it's very well done. And yeah, and I, and, and no, in no way did I mean to say that he, you know, he is, 
an outsider coming in because he, I mean, I don't want to say just, but he wrote Arrival. Arrival yeah. was really great. Yeah. He was not the director. He was not the producer, right. but the storyline was really cool. And now he's writing comics. And, and number one, I'm excited because that Arrival was a good story. And number two, I'm excited because he is a good writer and I'm excited to see good writers flock to the medium in which I prefer to read my stories, which is graphic novels. So let's move on to Guardians of the Galaxy because there's a few things that um, we have found out. We're a little bit closer to finding out what Sylvester Stallone is. So here are the three rumors. Um, IO9 believes that it is Starhawk. Uh, in the comic books, Starhawk was known as Starhawk and also Stakar and was in the old, old comic books, um, a, the enemy of Yondu. Like in the, the original Peter Quill stuff. So that could be neat. Um, Comics Alliance believes that it's the original, uh, Marvel is who he's playing and they want to set, uh, Marvel's, uh, powers before Brie Larson takes over as, um, Captain Marvel. Maybe they'll do a scene like in the Green Lantern movie whenever, <laughs> once space crashes on Earth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Adam then the, sir. And then the other rumor is that he is going to basically play um, a version of Richard Ryder, the original Nova, but as a, not as like someone with superpowers, but as someone who is just really good at flying a plane, uh, which I hope is not that because as you guys know, there are two characters that are very, very close to my heart. Cyclops. You laugh all you want, whatever. (laughs) And Richard Ryder, the original Nova, not Kid Nova, which I am a like the Annihilus um, space stuff with uh, Richard Ryder is some of my favorite comic books. So I kind of hope that they don't do a Richard Ryder, Sylvester Stallone as a pilot kind of thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care for that. Well, you know, the other thing is, you know, Michael Rosenbaum is got a, is playing a secret role. Mm In this film, and he's apparently like really tight friends with James Gunn, and they're keeping his role under wraps, but they're saying it's somehow uh, entwined with Sylvester Stallone. But I can honestly see him playing uh, Richard Ryder just because he's he would be, you know, you want to kind of have somebody who's who people would be familiar with somewhat, but also, you know, he's the right youngish age, right. So, you know, if somewhere down the road they want to introduce Sam Alexander as young Nova, then you can kind of establish that, oh, well, there was this other version of Nova who was your predecessor and such. Right. right? And I, then also we found out that Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell will not only be in the Guardians of the Ga- Galaxy movies. So one of the two are going to be in additional movies other than Guardians of the Galaxy, and they will, they'll probably be, one of them is going to be in Brie Larson's um, Captain Marvel, and one of them is going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is also going to be done by James Gunn, and that was announced as well. He's also being tapped to help set up the uh, next 10 years, which I guess are phase four and five of oh, wow. the Marvel movies. Uh, he'll be asked to come in and, and provide a similar direction that uh, kind of first was uh, Joss Whedon, and then kind of transferred over to um, the, the Russo brothers. 
Because they've been kind of helping to guide yeah. know, with, with Kevin. And, and I guess for the next phase, it will kind of transition a little bit to James Gunn, which Ooh. is a, a big honor for that guy. Don't forget, prior to we you had John Favreau. Oh, John Favreau. He's, right. really, yeah, he's the really the originator. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And James Gunn also tweeted out that there's not going to be one, but five, but five credit scenes, post credit scenes. Wow. You know, credit, the credits in Marvel movies are long enough as is. I mean, why is kind of where I'm at? Like, at first it was neat. They're like, did you stay through the credits to see the explosion? I saw Thor's hammer. Like, that stuff, yeah, that was kind of cool. But now it's like, did you see the 30-minute <laughs> additional short film that was after the credits? You, you know what I really miss is when you would get the Marvel movies on DVD, Blu-ray, and they had those little Marvel one-shots mm-hmm. that were exclusive to that. I really wish they would get back to doing that. Yeah. Those were so good. You know what else I miss? Those short movies that were in front of your movie, like you know, you know, you would go see like, like Pixar does. Yeah, like like Pixar is the only ones that done it. But back in the day, like you would go see a movie, and there would always be like a short instead of like previews or whatever. There'd be like some ten minute like quick weird cartoon or short film. Mm-hmm. That's something that I don't think today's cinema viewers have the patience for. That I would enjoy. I would love it. I mean, you know, but they're too, uh, you know, studios are too busy making deals with uh, the pro- various products and and companies and such, you know, that have crap to sell you. So, yeah. um, speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, a couple of other great pieces of, of information. Uh, Telltale Games Guardians of the Galaxy comes out today or is out oh, today. Wow. So if you are a fan of video games and or good stories in video games, or if you have played any of the previous Telltale games, I would say jump right on that. Kate is playing it as we speak. She just texted me and she goes, God damn, this Guardians of the Galaxy game is great. Uh, Telltale makes some great, great games. Uh, and most recently they've done Batman, which was fantastic. Yeah. What style is this game? So I don't know if you remember. It's not quite the same, but I don't know if you'd ever played any of the... Um, uh, almost the graphical adventures that LucasArts was doing in the eighties, like the dig and loom, um, monkey Island. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, maniac mansion, those kinds of things. It's a lot like that. They're like graphic novels basically that you, you don't necessarily directly control, but you help influence the events of, um, but walking dead was the first one that telltale did. And it was enormously successful. Uh, they're on season three of that actually. So uh, that's the same stuff that's on the mobile devices. Yeah. Yeah. Is this a mobile game you're talking about or is it? No, no. I mean like the, technically they aren't mobile games. They're made for computers and consoles. But oh, and then they they're also ported over. Okay. To Cause I played, I played the first two seasons of the walking dead on yeah. my phone. So yeah. that's what that was. Yeah, fan, okay. Fan, fantastic. Um, season three of the walking dead is currently in full swing. They just wrapped up back. Batman and Guardians came out today, the first episode of Guardians. Aren't they doing a sequel to The Fables? They sure are. Wolf Among Us. Ooh, man, I got it. Yeah, Wolf Among Us was super good. I got live on that. Um, and wait, was Fable that game where you could like uh, do? It was like open no, world. No, 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 well, you're no, talking no. about Fable, but yeah, yeah Fables based on the the comic book Fables by Bill Wellingham. Got it. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, and uh, we knew we know now that uh, it's he's been really secretive about it. We know some of the music that's been used in Guardians too, uh, because of some of the trailers and things that we've seen. And he's talked. James has talked about what exactly his process was for selecting music. But he said, you know what? I just chose a lot of really awesome fucking songs that I loved for the first movie, and then. 
uh, that soundtrack went platinum in an age where it's almost impossible to sell physical medium, um, digital or physical to, to people without them just streaming it for free. The guardians volume one awesome mix went platinum. Can you believe that? That's a good soundtrack. It was a good soundtrack. It was. He's got a ton. He said he had a ton of pressure riding on him to create something as awesome for volume two. And so while the final track listing has not been revealed, uh, April 28th, I believe is the release date for awesome mix volume two. You know, I mean, I, I, as a movie fan, I, and, and like I said, I've been on this whole nineties movie nostalgia trip. That's mm-hmm. something I really miss is a well curated mm-hmm. movie soundtrack because that can make the movie just as much as the actual script and acting and direction, you know, because it can just evokes, you know, strong emotions. Batman forever. I mean, there used to be a great time when alone on the sea, you remain the light on the dark side of me. Love became a love, a drug that's the high, not the pill. But did, did you, you know, know that the when it snows, eyes become a the light that you shine. So, so I was on tour like eight years ago, probably at this point, and there used to be a bar. There was one in Los Angeles and one in New York City. Um, there was a bar called. Angels and Kings, and it was owned by Pete Wentz, and he would have bands come and like play like acoustic sets in there. And the cool thing about it was is that the core of the bar was just mugshots of famous people that he got signed by those people. And there was always like a, a mugshot of 1980s James Brown looking haggard as shit. With his signature on there, with love, James, with like a candle and like a set of like freshly cut flowers next to it. They always had like in the centerpiece of the bar. Um, but we played that venue several times. And one of the nights we played, uh, the lead singer for uh, Panic at the Disco, which is a band that I dislike very, very strongly. Um, but their lead singer, uh, Brendan Yuri or something like that, was there. And he did a solo set. It was just like three or four songs. And he did some Panic songs. But he did Kiss from a Rose. And I was blown away. Like, it was fucking awesome. Like I sat there with like almost tears in my eyes. And I don't know if it was like the 90s nostalgia thing. But he just murdered that song. And that I will always remember when I think about that song, I obviously think about Batman Forever and the the triple patty cheeseburger thing that McDonald's had Ooh. called the Hero Burger or yes. whatever it was. <laughs> um, but I also think about Brendan Urie and how he murdered the fuck out of some Kiss from a Rose. I don't know if I told you guys, but I've been having the itch since I haven't played. You should probably get that checked out. <laughs> I have been having the itch to play again because I haven't. You know, we I broke we broke the band up like we broke a bread. about a maybe a year and a half ago now. Yeah. And I really want to do a Batman Forever tour in which I get the guys together and we just play every song from Batman Forever. Dude, Kiss <laughs> and, from Rose. And just call it the Batman Forever. Um, what was the U2 song off of that? Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss yeah. Me, Kill Me. And it's the only U2 song that I like. Yeah. It was Same a, it was okay well, song. There's some honest. gold on that record. I, you know, I was only half joking. The Riddler by Method Man. The Riddler. Okay, Questions which, puzzle in your mind. It's the time. <laughs> was Gotham City by R. Kelly? That's on the- Batman and Robin. Yeah, close, but not quite. And then Bone Thugs, they had something on Batman Forever. I believe they did. Wow, the nineties. Yeah, well, the nineties. There was. There, we also had. Uh, was Urge Overkill on that? 
I can't remember. I'm getting this. I'm getting the list right now. I think this is important enough to talk about here. For sure, absolutely. Uh, Smash it up by Offspring. Yeah, yeah. Um, hold me, throw me, kiss, kiss me, me, kill me. me. Yeah. Kiss from a rose. Mm-hmm. The Riddler. Yeah. Where are you now? By who? Uh, was it Brandy Jam? Oh, oh yeah, wow. I remember that. Um, but man, there w- there's a something that. Massey Star, yeah, tell me Massey now. Star, that's right. Nick Cave, there is a light. Um, and then eight by Sunny Day Real Estate. <laughs> it's like that Godzilla soundtrack for that one that Matthew Broderick was in. There's some good shit on that. Bad, it's- bad days, Flaming Lips as well. So yeah. it's not a bad soundtrack. It's definitely no. not. No, I mean I had it. I used to listen to the shit out of that album. A better album than a movie. That's for damn sure. I still like it. It's pretty much one in three. Does it hold up? What the movie? Yeah, you accept I, it for what it is. If, yeah, if you if you go into it knowing that what you're going to get is Joel Schumacher's vision yeah. of a '90s Batman, it's actually pretty damn good. Uh, Val Kilmer can literally act as anyone, mm. I think, um, and he definitely isn't the same kind of Batman that that Michael Keaton was, but he's definitely better than George Clooney. Yeah, which is not to say that I don't like George Clooney. He's just not a great Batman. No. Best Batman soundtrack? Probably Batman Forever. Although yeah. the original Batman has all Prince songs. Ooh, yeah. yeah. It's got that scandalous. Scandalous. And it's got Bat Dance, <laughs> which is a song on it. I see the future and it will be. The future? Yeah. All right, guys. That's, that's, uh, that's that. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Star Wars. Wars. So, Dave, you have just come back from... I think that's right, actually. You are correct. (laughs) The Star Wars Celebration in Florida. 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 Um, I did not watch any of the Star Wars stuff, so I'm going to use this as an opportunity for you to educate me Mm -hmm. on the takeaways... From Star Wars Celebration, hotness to coldness, I would like you to give me four. Hottest moment to coldest moment. One, two, three, four. Okay. I'll start at the coldest moment, and that is the Celebration, the Star Wars Celebration store. So they have an official store, and everything that's in the store is is 100% branded as Celebration 2017 or whatever number it is, um, and totally exclusive to it. So you can't buy anything that's in the Celebration store anywhere else at any other time. Just those four days. Um, and they range from t-shirts to this year they had a plush Sarlacc pit with a couple of Jabba's henchmen and Boba Fett. And they had Velcro on them and you just put them on the Sarlacc. And you can put your hand into the Sarlacc pit and use it to eat the things off the little plush tentacles that it had. I didn't buy it because what the fuck would I do with something like that? But it's definitely a cool collectible. They had Ponda Baba's uh, cut-off hand. It was an oven mitt, Lord, which was pretty cool. But then they've also got stuff like pint glasses and um, variant covers for the Star Wars books. Seems like an opportunity for someone to go there, buy the things that would resell, and pay for their ticket. Well, that's exactly what people do. So that's why it's my cold point. Yeah, um, I thought that that's where you're going the, with this. The line to get into the store. So 
I decided Friday morning that we were going to go and brave the line because there was some stuff in there that I really wanted to see. And, you know, why wouldn't you get something that was Celebration branded while you were there? I'm, I'm not really a collector. and I'm not really looking to sell things on the Internet. But I wanted something to say, like, hey, I was at Celebration 2017. Um, and I'd been warned that the lines for these can be kind of long. So we got there at 9 and the hall opened at 10. We went in and we waited in line for three and a half hours. Jesus. So we got there at 9. We went inside at 10. We got in line at like 10.05. We didn't get into um, the actual store itself until like one fifteen. And by the time that we were done, so we had to wait in line because we got custom T-shirts made. They had a screen printer inside that was letting you select various images from Celebration, um, put them on a shirt, and then put on the color shirt that you want, the size that you want. They make it and they give it to you. They've got a bunch of pre-made shirts. They had like some cool alternate posters with um, for A New Hope with um, like the, the Chinese poster. They had like an Italian poster, a bunch of exclusive artwork that people had done. And then some goofy stuff like come see Scarif. And it had like a Scarif tours on it with like a sun in the background and tropical islands in the foreground. Um, and then some of the goofy stuff, like I'd mentioned previously, the guy who did all the uh, concept art for celebration was uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. He was sitting down and signing anything that you bought that had his artwork on it. So there was like the poster that you could buy. And he had like a bunch of like minimalist, like 19, like fifties or sixties posters as well for the original trilogy. And he was sitting down signing everything. The line to get him to sign something was like an hour and a half inside the store. Uh, the line to get the shirt screen printed was an hour inside the store. Most of the sizes, even by Friday morning when they opened, were completely sold out. Uh, and then the line to check out was two and a half hours long. So, so it sounds like they did not do it the way they should have. I don't know if they if there is a way that they could do it because I've been told that this is just the celebration store. And so every celebration in the last in recent memory has been like this. And this one was no different. So but I have also heard that this was a much less organized celebration than some of the previous ones. Uh we got out of and now keep in mind that we did this before breakfast, before anything else, because I don't think that I was really prepared for it. We got out and ate lunch at four thirty. Jesus. Wow. Well, the, sh- the show that literally is a day of yeah, shopping. No, the the show floor <laughs> closes at seven. Man, so what what kind of stuff did you miss that day? Um, well, I only had uh, access to to one panel that day, and it was the uh, Warwick Davis Small Talk with Warwick Davis panel, and I missed it. That was the day of. <clears throat> excuse me. That was the day that they did the Last Jedi panel, which I didn't get into because after everyone kind of heard about um, the 40th anniversary Star Wars panel, they lost their minds and started lining up like the, the day before that panel at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It was just madness. By 7 o'clock, there was a, a line a mile and a half long stretched around the Orange County Convention Center block like three or four times. It was absolute insanity. There were 6,000 people in line by like 7 p.m. Yeah, my buddy Tom sent me a video of that line that you're talking about because like he, he was going to get in line at do. like a normal time yeah. and he just videotaped in what is it with your iPhone you like videotape it quickly it makes like a like, uh, what clips or whatever it's yeah, called. It, yeah so he sent me a clips or whatever of just walking from the end of the line to the front and it was sped up like four or five times normal speed. And it was a video that was still like 10 seconds. So it was just like, <laughs> just, it was going like up the stairs, down the stairs, around the corner, under a scaffold, like around the corner, up some stairs, down some stairs. And then there was the front. And he was like, yeah, so I'm not getting in this line. 
Yeah. It's like, no, of course not. Why would you do that? Go well, do something better. You know what? I We did the, the parks, the Disney parks, the first couple of days we were down there, and we left Epcot at like 6 p.m. on Wednesday, and we went home, showered, put together like an overnight bag, and we went to the convention center at 8, and there were already several thousand people in line for the 40th anniversary panel, and we sat. I, mean, I just, I, I also don't like get, like, they they know people are going to line up for these things and spend the night to come into them, and so they hold this thing in a room that's 60 degrees. Um, I, I actually got sick because of it. Uh, 60 degrees. There's thousands of us in there. They put us into like cattle rows basically to, to keep the lines, you know, where they are. And, uh, you know, I, we, I, we grabbed a handful of like bags that, uh, ANA airlines were handing out that had like the pictures of the star Wars planes they've got right now on the side of them that, and had celebration logo on the other that they were giving out to people for free to put stuff that they get from the convention into. And I grabbed a stack of those and we used those as pillows as we slept on a concrete floor. And we were there for 16 hours waiting, uh, till the next morning so we could uh, see the panel. Bro, you got to get on your homeless game, man. I know, right? <laughs> I would not be a good homeless person. We did discover that. Um, but the, you know, you know what they do? You know, when you're in jail, there's two things to do. Use your shoes as a pillow. Or use toilet paper roll. So you can you can take those two bits of information. Bro, you don't want no toilet paper rolls that a thousand nerds have been using. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I mean, but you could have put them inside that bag. And I did sleep on my shoes before we found those bags, by the way. Mm. All right. So you you, I, I you had, know what to do. I had it together. We, we was on it. Um, but, and it, you know, there's just so much that was, that's probably number three for me. Like, that still was better than waiting in that line to go into the fucking store. Um, so hot or cold to hot. Number four is waiting in that celebration store line. Number three was camping out prior to getting into the panel. Um, so now give me two hot things, two hot things. I got you. Uh, number two is the, um, smooth talking with Billy D Williams panel. I went to that was awesome. Um, and I, and I know I know a pretty decent amount of him just because of a Star Wars fan. You know, I know a lot about all the people that have been in the Star Wars franchise films. Uh, but I did not realize that he is a world-renowned painter before he was an actor. He has multiple pieces in the Smithsonian. He has pieces in um, museums pretty much all throughout the country and a few even outside the U.S. But he was really well-known and regarded. He went to art schools for... Um, um, like visual art schools, like for painting before he was ever an actor before he ever appeared in, in a, in a stage uh, wow. capacity. But he grew up in Harlem during like the huge, you know, jazz era. Mm-hmm. And he painted jazz. He painted, um, you know, um, he's like, you know, I, I painted, you know, um, you know, black folks doing what black folks wanted to do during that time. And he's like, you know, and I, I received a lot of, um, you know, acclaim for it. He got scholarships to go to these colleges based on his artwork. And he had, they had like multiple like samples, you know, to show. I mean, like he's, I, I can't believe I never knew that about him. I mean, just, yeah. he had a career before he ever had a career. He was in his forties when he became Lando Calrissian in 1980, wow. 1979 when they were filming. So he was already in his forties because he turned 80 last week. Man, he uh, obviously he grew up in Harlem in New York and uh, he shared a little bit about what that was like. And, you know, when asked, you know, what what are the two things that make up Lando Calrissian? Why is he such an iconic character? He's like, well, there's two things that make up Lando Calrissian. And the first one is that Kate. (laughs) 
He's like, but I wanted to play that cape, not as a pimp cape, but a space cape. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the audience like lost their mind because we're all like trying to, and there's that picture of him where he's like got it out like this, like yes. he's Batman and he's yes. like twirling it around. Um, he's like, the second thing is Ian. I-A-N, Calrissian. He's like, when George told me that name, I looked up that that name, and it's an Armenian name. And he's like, I, I wanted to imbue with this character something more than just your your typical, like, stereotypical black 70s actor. He's like, because he was going to wear bell bottoms. He was going to wear, you know, a polyester shirt. He was going to have a cape, but I didn't want him to come off as just a brother. He's like, I wanted him to be a wayfaring space character. He's like, so I looked up, you know, what Calrissian means in Armenian, where the name comes from. And I tried to imbue with famous, you know, um, Armenian characteristics that I read about into this character and about how he would approach the situations that he was landed in. Uh, After he was a famous painter, he was on Broadway. He did tons of Broadway plays. And then was was noticed and, and started acting in films. Um, I mean, even before he was ever in a Colt forty five commercial, he was a Broadway actor. Wow. He's extremely he's he's a fount of knowledge from the time periods in which he was a young man. Um, and it was you know out of all the panels that I was looking at, like you know there was the the Mark Hamill remembers Carrie Fisher. Um, which was a great panel. Um, there were like Peter Mayhew panels, but you had to kind of pick and choose because a lot of these happen, you know, concurrently. So you, and I knew from the get go that I wanted to see the 40th anniversary panel and I wanted to see Billy D. Williams. Um, and it was fantastic. Warwick Davis brought a screen down and showed him a bunch of like, um, merchandise pieces that he's been in over the years. And one of them was socks. And, uh, he's like, what do you think about that? You are some socks. And he goes, I mean, everything's all right. If you're getting a piece of the action, <laughs> Um, but it was great. He talked about dancing with stars and about how um, he actually had to bow out because he hurt himself doing it. Um, but uh, then they did a Q&A with him and somebody asked him, you know, what Broadway play have you were you not ever in that you'd like to be? And he was, well, honestly, I don't really feel like working that hard anymore. So none. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Um, and then, of course, the hottest moment for me was was the 40th anniversary panel. I mean, there. You you could not have asked for more. The only thing that might have happened would have been if they brought Carrie's ashes out on stage or something and blown them into the crowd. Like that would have been literally the only thing they could have done that would have been more authentic. Um, Harrison Ford, who did not even go to Celebration 8 before the release of Force Awakens, which he was in and played a major starring role in, uh, arrived here. He made jokes about his flying. Um and he said, uh, or I, th- I think Mark said, you know, I was worried about you coming in today, buddy. I looked at I-4 and noticed that it was wall-to-wall traffic. And I knew that, you know, if you crashed there, there'd be no hope for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it, the, the whole thing was great. And I was, I was sat maybe 20 feet from all this, but Mark Hamill, Harrison Forge, George Lucas was there. And he talked at length about his relationship with the fans and, uh, you know, the work that he's done, uh, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDermott, um, and then a, Carrie's daughter came out and did an entire um, like dedication to her and spoke about her and what Star Wars meant, not just to Carrie and you know her, her family, but what it meant to her as a kid growing up and what Princess Leia had meant. Uh, and then the, the cap of all that was that John Williams, like a, a, a fucking curtain to our right, raises up and John 
Williams, probably the most prolific classical composer of the past several hundred years, is standing to our right with the Orlando Philharmonic uh, Orchestra, and he goes through and plays uh, Leia's theme, followed by pretty much the first like 15 minutes of Star Wars and the, right into the Imperial March. Um, there were people around me openly weeping. Because it was like all together too much. I mean, if you love these films, I mean, what more could you have wanted from them, from this this thing? It was it was incredible. I also saw that George Lucas said that Star Wars was for children. He did. He said it was for twelve year olds. He said, but the great thing about that is, is that you know we were all twelve year olds, and if you can understand what makes it great when you're that age, then as an adult, you can also understand why it's still such an important lesson. I mean, I was like. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> okay, he can, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot, and the the stuff that I read from that panel, <clears throat> sorry, the stuff that I read from that panel was all really great, like yeah. all the stuff that he said, and for him not to put his foot in his mouth, that's awesome because he's really good at that. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. Um, it was really cool. So Sequoia, you were watching all this stuff from here. Um, what what panels did you watch that uh, kind of s- stuck with you? Uh, I did watch that uh, 40, 40th anniversary panel, and yeah, like the stuff that really, you know, struck me was the fact that, like, yeah, they got Harrison Ford and George Lucas to show up. You know, Billy D. Williams being there, and then of course there was the really awesome tribute to Carrie Fisher and the John Williams thing. I mean, I was gobsmacked. Yeah, um, when that happened, I was watching it all on YouTube. I was going back and forth between that and um, uh, the uh, Star Wars dot com because mm-hmm. um, that's how I watched like the last couple of celebrations is you know online because I, I I sure as hell could not make it down there. I mean, even if I could afford if if I can you know buy a ticket and 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 all that, it's just I can't deal with those kind of crowds. That yeah. was anger me so badly well you know it was my first i've i've really been wanting to go to celebration for a number of years uh sequoia you might remember that i almost went to celebration three or four whatever it was yeah. that just preceded episode three mm-hmm. um i bought tickets to go to ep- to to that celebration that year with a, a friend from the area and it fell through and i just couldn't make it so i've been wanting to get back to a celebration at some point and you know Last year, when they announced that the tickets were going on sale, I, I got these tickets. You know, we, we, we made the trek down there. And I'm glad that I got to see that panel live and in person because I don't think that anyone will ever see a panel like that ever again. Nope. I, Harrison Ford's not ever coming back. He hasn't mm-hmm. been to any of the first nine of these. He's probably not going to go to any of the, 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 the subsequent ones. Um, so... That said, I don't have any real desire to go back. Like, this was incredible. It was enough of an experience that I'll never forget it. But I mean, the rest of them are just going to be, you know, Disney hyping up other films they're releasing, which is fine, but I don't like the crowds. I don't like all those nerds, man. <laughs> too, many, too many goddamn nerds. I think we're all at the age where we don't want to go to huge music festivals. We don't want to go to huge cons. Yeah. You give me a local con, I'll come support you, man. If I, I only have to be there for a day, I could drive home, go to bed. Eat food in my own house. <laughs> yeah, man. Count me in. Well, see, I think Dave did it right because, I mean, you got in a little Universal and Disney time oh, yeah. while you were down there. Yeah. And, I mean... Epcot was having their um, their Fresh Food Spring Festival, so mm-hmm. every different country had, like, like, little sampler plates from that country. 
Um, mm. I ate something from almost every country. Oh, and they also had special alcoholic drinks for every country, too. I mean, where else can you do that? I mean, you would have had to fly a lot to get all that. Yeah. I and love me some Disney. I had frushi from Japan, which mm. was fruit sushi. <laughs> it was like coconut rice with like um, like a really light, like... Uh, I don't know what it was like a like a thin watermelon rind wrapped mm-hmm. around it with like pieces of fresh fruit stuck in the middle of it. That wow. sounds amazing. With like a strawberry uh, cream sauce like drizzled over the top. That's of how it. you. Wow. That's how you should eat every day with like a frozen um, sake and rose petal mm. shot to go with it. Well, I will say this now: I'm, I may be making a trip down to Disney World this fall. I'm supposed to be going with. Donnie and his fam, mm-hmm. me and the niece are talking about going down there. And I feel like, you know, I'm looking forward to it, but, uh, I'm really looking forward to going back in 2019 when they have Star Wars land yeah. set up. I'll, I'll go to that. So yeah. I went to a panel on it where, um, the Imagineers that are responsible for it and, um, Doug Chang, who is the lead artist for Lucasfilm, uh, limited and a few other, um, cats that are all working on this project came out and discussed what it would be like. So what I can share is, well, I guess I can share everything that they, they shared because it was all streamed live. But what I will say is that it was amazing. The place that they're approaching this from, because, you know, they, they talked about how they could have like made like a, a little Hoth area with like a Tauntaun ride. And, you know, you get popsicles there, or a slushy, and then you walk across a little ways and there's like a, a Tatooine area where you can pod race. Like that's a thing. And then they've got, you know, uh, Tatooine themed food, like little fried, you know, critters and stuff that might roam around the desert. But that what they wanted to do was to truly pay homage to Star Wars and create something that a person could used to be transported into that world. They said, you know, the thing about when you watch Star Wars is, is that, you know, you love what you're seeing, but you want to be there. Mm-hmm. So they're, they've created a planet alongside um, Pablo Hidalgo, who is one of the um, I guess, film story group. Luc- Lucasfilm story group guys, um, along with Dave Filoni and, and <clears throat> the rest of them. But they have created a planet, which is thousands of years old, it was a major spaceport which, uh, before um, sub-light speed travel was a thing. And since light speed, the shipping lanes have narrowed, and it's no longer quite the same as it used to be on the map. And so it's kind of a little bit more of a place where unmentionables like to hang out. Um, but there are going to be brand new characters. All of the Disney employees that work in that area of the park are going to have names and roles. Like, they're not going to be Tom from Kansas. Mm-hmm. They're going to have an actual Star Wars name, uh, and they'll have a like a little badge that has their name on them. And they play roles so that when you walk through the streets and you talk to them, they address you. Uh, they'll be using the magic bands, oh. which they already use. If you uh, go to like Star Tours, for instance, right now, that um, and you walk past certain areas while you're in line, it picks up on your magic band and it puts your name and where you're from as like a wanted poster. <laughs> so when you walk by, it's like, oh, you know, David from Raleigh wanted for blah, 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 for hurting nerfs or something like that. <laughs> uh, but it's really cool. <clears throat> but they're going to use that technology so that whenever you do things like fly the Millennium Falcon, which, by the way, will not be on rails. You're actually going to sit in a cockpit with other people and fly the Millennium Falcon. It's like an entire like thing. It's like Star Tours, except right. you control it. Um, and you can choose to dump the cargo, 
to get to your destination safely. You can choose to aid the resistance. You can choose to aid the uh, first order. When you get off the ride, your magic band records that. And as you walk through the rest of the park, you might have bounty hunters try to hire you. You might have, or smugglers try to hire you. You might have the uh, first order come looking for you based on decisions that you made while using that ride. And there's all kinds of things that'll tie into each other. Um, where like your your server at a restaurant might come back and say, oh, well, if it isn't the hero of Tanab or whatever, whenever they set your food down, because all of it is linked. Yeah. Like it's it sounds insane. They have life size moving AT-ATs from that you saw in the trailer for episode eight. Yeah, um, that will be moving in places in the park. God, it sounds just, good. Uh, you remember last episode you were talking about the the soft. Uh, moving robots that Disney is trying to uh, yeah they basically patented a Westworld style um, technology that they want to start testing in parks in 2020 they're already actually using those in um, Avatar in uh, Pandora which was right but I will say that I saw it when I was on uh, Expedition Everest because when you make that climb you can see it it's that soft opens in a week yeah. Um, and then it launches it, like officially at the end of May. Uh, but they are already using the soft robots. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything other than technology, man. It's crazy. We're, we are living in a brand new world, ladies and gentlemen. But see, that's what I like about Disneyland and Disney World is just the whole immersion thing. I mean, you could say a lot of things about Disney. Yeah. Positive, negative. I think there's a lot there. But the one thing that you cannot argue is that they know how to tell a story and they know how to do that in a park. Yeah. You can't get when it comes to service, Disney gets it, man. Like, how do you keep a park that clean with that many people? You know, it's sad because, I mean, you know, I've been to Legoland uh, out in San. No, what was that? Um, Was that Carson? Was that? Oh, Lord, I was in California. I went to Legoland and I went to uh, and I've been to Universal and it's like, you know, it's just not the same thing. It really does not feel the same. No, I was at Universal on Monday and then we spent Tuesday and Wednesday at the Disney parks. And Kate was like, you know, Universal's cool because she really wanted to go there for Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. She wanted to see that. So we bought a, a park hopper pass where you can take the Hogwarts train back and forth between um, Hogwarts and, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Diagon Alley and um, Hogsmeade, the two areas yeah. that they've constructed between the two parks. And, you know, we got to, to Disney the next day and she's like, I just, I can't believe how much better Disney is than in any of the parks. Cause we went to um, Animal Kingdom, we went to Hollywood Studios, um, Epcot, Magic Kingdom, we went to everything. And, you know, she just was blown away by how much different of an experience it is. Because in between rides at Universal, there's nothing. Like, there's just not anything that's anywhere close to the same. Um, so, yeah, Dis- Disney definitely does parks right. It sounds stupid, but there's something magic about Disney Studios. It sounds dumb, but I- I've gone to Disneyland a bunch growing up. I went back there as an adult, and it's just, they just know what they're doing. They, they've got, yeah. they run that machine well. well. They basically created it for all intents and purposes. Yeah. The large amusement park was 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 their doing. So, um, I guess in other news related to Star Wars, um, I know they announced a Captain Phasma comic. Yep, 
that's supposed to be talking about what she what happened to her between right Force Awakens and the Last Jedi because she will be in the Last Jedi, which we've seen. Um, so we will we will find out what happens to her, which is great. Uh, there was a panel with Phil Sewell um, where he talked about uh, the state of Star Wars comics at Marvel and and where things are going, which I did not get a chance to see because it was going on at the same time as um, one of the other panels that I attended. Uh, but I, I did go back and watch the highlights on it, which was uh, which was pretty awesome. Uh, but then I also uh, sat in on the panel for the sneak peek for sneak peek for Rebels season four, mm, which yeah. was super awesome. Uh, Dave Filoni announced this would be the last season. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's fine. I mean, I get. I figure, like, given the time period, mm-hmm. it's kind of caught up. Yeah. So I'm wondering, is this probably going to wrap up right before the events of uh, Rogue, Rogue One. One? Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, but I, I really have enjoyed the Rebels, even more so than Clone Wars. Like It's, it's been mm. a fantastic series. Dave also confirmed that they're already working on what comes next. Because anime, Disney, or Star Wars Animation or Animated Studios will continue, obviously. They're not going to you know, shoot that horse. <laughs> no, <laughs> All right, no. done. Yeah, no, no more Later, money. guys. No more money for us. Uh, so it's led a lot of people to speculate about what time period comes next. And a lot of people, um, because the comics take care of you know, the bridge between four and five. Um, Clone Wars takes care of the bridge between two and three. Um, Rebels takes the bridge between three and four. Um, a lot of people are speculating that since they haven't done a ton with the space and it is 30 years that the next animated series will take place between six and seven. I mean, that would be nice. I'd like to have some of those gaps filled in, but you know, uh, me and my buddy Todd, you know, he, he has his star Wars, uh, podcast mm-hmm. and we've talked about this and, you know, it's, much as I like what the story group is doing as far as shepherding the entirety of Star Wars storytelling, I feel like, I don't know, like I have mixed feelings about how Disney's handling it now because you get these little bursts of, of, of product mm-hmm. and story and, um, I don't know. I appreciate that it's not like the nineties where they were just flooding the market with garbage. Right. But, um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, you can't really do much with the comics or the books because, you know, the movies have to be the ones to tell the, the, the main elements, you know, they have to tell that story until that's established. You can't really have stuff that's in the the comics or the novels or the video games. Oh, speaking of that reveal for Battlefront Two, holy shit! I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm Battlefront glad- One was was awesome. Yeah, but it got old pretty quickly because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of of depth to it. But now there's a campaign where you play as a elite, uh, like Death Trooper, essentially that um, witnesses on Endor the destruction of the second Death Star, and then you flee. And you essentially start the um, the game as a fighter against you're you're part of the remnant Imperial forces fighting against the the rebellion that has destroyed the second Death Star. And this pretty much runs the gamut from the end of Return of the Jedi all the way up to the Force Awakens. Yeah. So, and I, I my guess is is that the the girl who the the main character is uh, my guess is that because you've seen clips already where she's speaking to Luke and things like that mm-hmm. she probably gets swayed to to the rebellion side of things or whatever they're called. The, I don't know, man. Boys. She seems pretty hardcore she loyal. Does. We must we must avenge our emperor. Yeah, I'm 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 hoping because I bought Battlefront you know for cheap from GameStop mm-hmm. and you know I don't do online multiplayer, which is all that game is. Yeah, I know, and, and I'm really looking forward to the one that um, 
Who's it? Is it not Motive Studios? The other one, uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, oh, the girl that was on uh, Uncharted. Yes, her. The, uh, her studio. Yeah, whatever that thing's Visceral. called. Visceral. Visceral. Yeah, they're doing the the, the open world adventure yeah. game. That's what I want. I, I don't do that. And uh, respawn that does Titanfall is working on a unannounced uh, third person action adventure uh, Star Wars game as well. What a time to be alive, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled, but it's like this crap can't come soon enough, man. I mean, it's like I, I think back to when salt gonna get you before yeah, Star Wars launches. I'm in the gym trying to get healthy, man, because I'm trying to live long enough to enjoy this shit. <laughs> I told you about I told you about the uh, tattoo I wanted to get for my birthday, right? Uh, I don't know if you did or not. I hadn't done it yet, uh, but I got to do it before the year's over. But basically, it was going to be SW, the Star Wars font, mm-hmm. you know, SW, oh, yeah. and then seventy seven. Mm-hmm. Underneath, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, because he was born the same year Star Wars was born, and my initials are SW. It's a win-win. It is a win-win. So we're we're running running up on our time. So before we go into this quick game, quick reactions to the only thing Star Wars we haven't talked about: the trailer for the Last Last Jedi. Jedi. Yeah, we really skipped over that. So we don't. I didn't go to that panel. Fuck it. We we don't have too much time to talk about it. Um. First impressions. Looks fucking awesome. That's that's how you do a trailer, man. I really liked how it mirrored the uh, tra- the teaser for Force Awakens. Have you seen the plate side by side? Uh, no, not yet. It is yet. nuts. Like, they're almost shot for shot the exact same trailer. Really? I'll send it to you. It's It will blow your mind. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, I was hoping to get a full trailer, but that's fine. Maybe we'll get something this summer. Yeah, so that's, that's my complaint. I, I think it was fine. But yeah. I'm not, you know, I am a... I am a fan because I enjoy good sci-fi and good action films. So that's why I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm not a Star Wars fan first. So the trailer didn't excite me too much, but I know it's going to be decent at at, at the worst. Yeah. So. See, but they also had to put in that line where Luke says, it's time for the Jedi to end. Come on, man. Like That's, that's good. Yeah. And you guys know my theory. What's that? Is that... He believes that there needs to be a balance between yeah. the dark and the light. Yeah, he's he's been going that direction pretty much since Empire Strikes Back. I, I, yeah, I really get the impression with this trailer. I don't know. I guess the real questions are: What's up with Kylo Ren? You know, like what's his deal? Has he been sharpening his knives? Mm-hmm. Is he ready to strike back? I, I can kind of see how this movie might potentially mirror um, the Empire Strikes Back because mm-hmm. it looks. I get. I'm getting the impression. The resistance is going to get his ass kicked by the first order. Like the first yeah. order is going to be the, on the offensive. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Any last uh, last thoughts? Last things to say about Star Wars? And there's there's also some other actors and actresses that we haven't seen anything about yet. Laura Dern is in this movie. Yeah, but uh, Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro is in this film. Yeah, we don't we don't know who or what they are yet. Hopefully, so. he has a singing role. <laughs> That's all I got to say. I'd love that, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. I've got a lightsaber. I want to use the Light force. Lightsaber and Star Wars. Let's do a game that we have played before called What Do You Think They Drink? Where I say, hey, there's this character. What do you think they drink? And then you tell me. It's oh. a pretty, pretty easy game. Well, uh, on that note, I will say that they did promise that we would drink uh, blue milk at this place. Yes. So you will be able to order blue milk at the new Star Wars land. Important. <laughs> Chewbacca. Blue milk. Uh, I, I think Chewbacca is lactose intolerant. 
So I like to imagine he dips his Wookiee cookies in almond milk. <laughs> I can see that. A, uh, a Kashyyyk almond? Yeah. Kashyyyk almond milk. I can see that. Ewoks. Water. Yeah. <laughs> Only that's, water? That's they, all they can get. They nah. got the manufactured beverages yeah. on that planet. Really? I think that they they know where all the good berries are at. The good with the, the ice cream stands? No. <laughs> I, I mean, good berries. Good berries, delicious. Well, we, we know that they eat people, so they're so they drink the blood of their enemies. Yeah. Oh, definitely. They're too cute not to. Am I right? Yeah. They're like these cute little like iconic uh, figures that suck the marrow out of your bones and drink your blood. That's how they get you. I think we should do an episode where we get high and watch uh, Battle for Indoor and Caravan of Courage. I have not seen those since the 80s. Yeah, I, ha- I have them on DVD, so... Are you going to watch the Star Wars special, too? The Christmas special? Yeah. No, we don't watch that. Oh, come on. I, listen, I'm not a masochist. <laughs> Kylo Ren. Um, Zima. It's kind of a... It's kind of... <laughs> He's kind of a bitch bag. He might uh, <laughs> basically whatever Adam Driver would drink. I guess I'll get you with my Zord. Yeah, while drinking my Zima. Something different. Light Zaber. Light Zaber. As much as people talk crap about Kylo Ren, I would not want to mess with Adam no. Driver. That guy was a Marine. Yeah, he will tear you up. Emo emo Marine. Well, not only that, but like he plays Kylo perfectly. I mean, like you have to think like he's an incredibly powerful individual just by birthright alone, mm-hmm. but he can't control any of it because he was lied to and and you know seduced like so many young folks to the dark side are. So I, yeah, I would not fuck with Kylo. I mean, well, I might call him a bitch bag here, but that's because I'm not looking at him. Well, then I think Kylo Ren drinks PBR. Yeah, he's kind. Of, yeah, I can see that. Or Natty Bo. Ooh. What about that um, an empire that Wookiee thing that eat that gets its hands chopped off in the beginning? What? Oh, the wampa. The wampa. What's a wampa That's drink? Wookiee. Well, what I said. He drinks Wookie the blood thing. of tauntauns. Yeah, and fro and, and boiled urine probably. <laughs> Tauntaun milk mixed with blood, maybe. Maybe that's what uh, uh, tribes in Africa drink yeah. before lion hunts. Well, yeah, but it's also to help, you know. Drink the milk because, like I said, yeah. they're lactose intolerant. Yeah. Thin it with blood first; that'll yeah. help it go down. Yeah. So this will pro- this is probably something that you can answer. Yoda, mm, swamp soup, <laughs> swamp soup. What do you drink on Coruscant at the Jedi Temple? Probably water. I mean, he probably understands how important water is to his existence. Tahitian treat is where I'm going. Oh, Ooh, carbonated I fruit love, punch. I love Tahitian treat. That is true. Mm. <laughs> treat Tahitian, yes. No, he drinks a uh, nesty brisk. Uh oh. <laughs> you remember that commercial? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. Mountain Dew. Anything by PepsiCo. <clears throat> yeah, anything because he's on the, the, the bottles. Yeah, he's exactly. on the cans. Darth Maul? Mmm. Spit. <laughs> He's just frothy. <laughs> I feel like from his mouth he drink anything. Does, I think he could like eat rocks and get liquid from the rocks. I mean, look at his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's from uh, Dathomir. Isn't yeah. he? Yes, yes, he yeah. is. So if he's from Dathomir, he probably drinks that weird, crazy witch water. <laughs> witch water. Savage oppress. Which Star Wars character drinks Code Red Mountain Dew? Ooh. Sebulba. 
Yeah. It's the Bulba. Good call. Because he, he needs he needs something to keep him alert for his race his pod races. You know, so that 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 charges him up. And he's one of the only ones who would do a commercial for it. He has no he doesn't care. Oh he's a shill. He's a total shill. Yeah. He's like, You'll pay me what? Yeah, I drink code red. He holds it with his little bottom feet. <laughs> On the commercial, stands on his hands and then holds the, the drink with his feet, basically. You know, uh, I, I hadn't told you guys this, but I'm actually looking into learning how to speak Hatties. That's awesome. Wonky Chewbacca. Exactly. No Jabba, no Bada. I look forward to you translating our podcast <laughs> into Hatties. So, what is to, to end it off, what is the Hut drink? He drinks that frog water. Yeah, frog water. <laughs> so what's frog water made out of? I don't know. It's just that little thing next well, to he's him. on a desert planet, so I mean, he has to have regular water first. Yeah. Well, he's also rich as a motherfucker, so he can get That's anything true, from too. anywhere. Well, I think the thing is he puts the frogs in the water. It's like pickle juice. Like, he lets the frogs kind of, you know, yeah. flavor the water. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe those the frogs are psychedelic. And so HUD is always, like, on another plane. Now, he also puts, like, a little little mechanism on top of the frog bowl and then smokes it. Oh. So maybe maybe it's, like, bong water. He's definitely getting lit. Oh, yeah. HUD knows where it's at. God, Job, you're so... He has to drink something because, I mean, he's so slimy. I mean, he has to keep himself... He's 97% water. Has to be. Yeah. Or at least... And lives on a desert. Yeah, lives on a desert planet. He's got the money, though. Hey guys, it's been good. The original three back on. Just missing good old Secret of Amos. Secret of Amos. Don't know where he is. He was like, I gotta take a plane somewhere. And I texted back, where? And he texted back, somewhere. Somewhere. I was like, damn, Amos. I imagine that it's like Casablanca. Like Amos is on a a strip somewhere, like a landing strip somewhere. Like, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday. That's what I imagine is happening right now. Good to have you guys back on here. Um, back on. Not sure what we're doing next week. Could be Star Wars. Could be Vision. It could be who the fuck knows. But I doubt, thanks. I doubt it'll be Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But thanks for listening. Um, and as as we slowly walk into the sunset, holding hands, singing different songs multiple languages coming together as a human race i say from me to you from at count paper from at canadian blaken to sequoia you know i'm on instagram i'm at the mighty sequoia at at the mighty sequoia i say read a fucking comic see you next week guys